Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. Eureka treats. That's what we called them at Blue Ridge Assembly, the black in Black Mountain. It's the conference center there. You've heard me reference a number of times. In the gift shop there in Eureka Hall, that's a century-old, iconic building there on the assembly grounds, the gift shop sells Eureka treats. Now, Eureka treats are what many of us might find at Dairy Queen, like a blizzard where you take ice cream and you you put Butterfingers in them or Skittles or M&Ms or fudge. Suddenly, all you're thinking about is ice cream. You'd get Eureka treats, and then you'd go out on the front steps. There was a, a beautiful porch. You'd find a seat in a green rocking chair, and you would look at one of the Finest views in all of Western North Carolina. But you're wondering how this ice cream concoction got its name. It's fair, of course. It's based on a story. When the founders of the YMCA Conference Center there were roaming the Swannanoa Valley trying to find the perfect place to invite individuals to, to see God in their own lives and to return to their homes on mission for him. They were looking for that, that perfect place. The founder and his entourage, as the story would go, had made their way up onto the mountain. And the founder had climbed a tree there on the corner of that Eureka Hall, and upon climbing the tree, looked out at the view and exclaimed, Eureka, I have found it. And the rest is history, of course. And we were able to serve Eureka treats while you watched the sunset over the craggy mountains and the Black Mountain Range across the valley. Eureka, I have found it. That sums up the season that we now find ourselves in. Epiphany. Epiphany literally means manifestation. It means revelation. It means eureka. We found it. We found God at work in this world. Epiphany is the season of discovery. It's a season of new beginnings. Eureka, John exclaims, God is here. The individual that we know of as John the baptizer or the Baptist knew what God was up to. He knew that his call was to prepare the way for the Lord. And goodness gracious, did he ever get people's attention. He got into, as they say, good kind of trouble He'd been preparing the way for some time, we believe. And now, with Jesus in the waters of baptism, things are going to kick into high gear. Jesus' public ministry is about to begin. The image there in the stained glass window that depicts Jesus' baptism, it's striking. And for those who can't see it, it's a traditional image of what we might expect. Jesus in a white robe, 
accompanied by an individual who is drawn close to him. We imagine that it's John. They're not wearing name tags, however. He's in yellow with a brown sash, and they're in inviting waters up to their waist. And the In the distance, we see purple mountains, we see the green of trees, almost like an oasis, and yes, a dove, light emanating from it. Jesus' head bent as though he is ready to receive God's blessing. Yes, this image is striking and telling of all the moments in the gospel that you all, First Baptist Church, could have chosen to populate these windows, you selected this one. You'll notice, of course, that the first window is the nativity and that it jumps some 30 years into the future. Yes, it's true, there is one other story. It's a story of Jesus at the temple when he was but 12. We may have to knocked down a portion of the wall to put that window in, I'm afraid. The other windows are Jesus' teaching, Jesus' sacrifice, table fellowship, the crucifixion, the resurrection, Jesus' ascension, of all the different moments that we could have encapsulated in these windows, you chose this one as the starting place. We have this picture in our sanctuary because it represents the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. But it also has a special meaning for us in our own tradition, for we believe that just as Jesus was baptized, we too believe that we are called to do so out of obedience to him. There's just... One problem, however, the picture that Luke paints and that we just read is not exactly the picture that we see here represented in our sanctuary. I'm going to reread the passage. I want you to listen carefully as you look at this image, and I want you to see if you can spot or identify the differences between what Luke writes and what our picture shows. You ready? John proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them by shutting up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Now, we acknowledge that when we read stories from the Gospels, we are tempted to synthesize all the different versions. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for those of us who, call, who are called to listen more deeply to what is going on in the good news that each of these gospel writers are presenting, it's important for us to spend a few moments seeing how each record 
of Jesus' work in the world is told for a particular reason. So we're going to look very closely at Luke's version of this story. And we'll find right out of the gate that unlike what we see here, or perhaps what we have focused in on, Luke's version is not private. We get the sense that Jesus' baptism is happening with other people present. In fact, Jesus finds himself in the waters of baptism with other people. And don't you just love that image? This idea that Jesus is in solidarity with us who find ourselves in water. Some of us deep water, troubled water. I mean, isn't that why God chose to come down and be with us in the first place? Because what he saw was a troubled people in troubled water. And that we are so beloved that God would come and be with us in solidarity with us, experiencing what we experience, living what we live. And did you notice this? In Luke's version, John has disappeared. Luke already has John the baptizer in prison. He's not there. It's important to Luke to tell us that John is in prison for the good work that he's been doing. Because good and faithful work oftentimes leads to imprisonment. We know that because of how this story ultimately ends. But Luke doesn't have John there. Why is that? Is Luke concerned about having John and Jesus in the same shot? Maybe, perhaps. Or is Luke trying to de-emphasize this moment in the first place, that Jesus would need to be in the water, being baptized by John. Y'all, that makes sense if you think about it, and especially if you know what baptism represented. The word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, which literally means, apologies to our Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, and Lutheran brothers and sisters, baptize. Baptism means immersion. It means to be dipped. And why would they do that? And is it unique to Christians? No. As a response to one's repentance, that is literally of stopping what you were doing, having a, a change of heart and a change of behavior, you would also immerse yourself as a way to start fresh, to be cleansed, to start over, to be born again. I believe that Jesus knew this. And I believe that Jesus knew that baptism is the starting place for a new way forward. There's a statement about the Holy Spirit in this passage that raises some eyebrows. Why a dove? Is there significance there? Maybe, perhaps. 
You may recall an ancient story about troubled water, water that started low and kept rising, except for one family that found themselves in a boat. Stop me if you've heard this story. Things looked bleak, didn't it? Because of the corruption of the world, no land could be found. All that were there had been wiped out. Talk about troubled water. But the one who was faithful let go a raven first. It returned. Didn't find anything. But then it was a dove. An accident? Hmm, maybe. The dove goes out across the expanse of the waters, reminiscent of creation. And even this moment here where the spirit, the breath of God breathes over creation, the dove returns. And what does the dove return with? A sign of promise, of grace, of a new start and a new beginning. The dove goes back out. It doesn't return. Well, until here, of course. Maybe we can learn something from the ancient story to inform this story, maybe. And then there's this. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. You compare this to the other versions. Mark uses this as, as an adverb. The Spirit descended as a dove would descend. Might it not have been a dove after all? There's a reference to bodily form and that it descends in a way reminiscent or as a dove. As our friend Charles Proctor might say, let's get to the ground floor. What does all this mean? What's the point here? Luke wants to make sure that we know that what happened to Jesus wasn't just in his mind. This was a real event that marks the beginning of a new way forward. The same moment that John the baptizer had been pre preaching and proclaiming and preparing for. Now this was really happening. And it began in a place of troubled water. Jesus' baptism is about beginnings each of the Gospels identify this moment as the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is how the kingdom comes. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all in attendance. And while we're at it, let's make a few things clear. Number one, God does not adopt Jesus as his son here. Luke tells us that from the very beginning, Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew we learn from the very beginning that Jesus is God's son. That doesn't just suddenly happen here, no. The presence of the Holy Spirit commissions Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers Jesus with, with words and actions, with deeds that would change the world forever and ever. Amen. And the Father inaugurates this beginning with a blessing. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Oh, how we ache to hear these same words in our lives, don't we? 
And the good news is, of course, that there's no reason why we shouldn't. Because we are beloved. Because we have been created in God's image. God wants to hold us as a good shepherd does. And speaking of images, all one has to do is look just over my shoulder of Jesus, the good shepherd, holding one of his own. Yes, we have to listen for this message, but you're here. You're tuning in. And that is the first step in hearing God's voice. You gotta show up. You've gotta choose to be present. You have to wade down into the waters with others. This is how we hear God's voice. This is how we learn of his blessing. So it's worth saying again, you are loved. You are beloved. And God has a new season in store for you. This first Sunday in Epiphany, we celebrate Jesus' new beginning. It's the start of his public ministry. And the same can be true for us. And who among us wouldn't like that? A new start, a fresh beginning, erasing uncertainty and, and having a path that's clear and straight. But before we finish with this picture and this image, there's one detail that you may have missed. It's not in the picture, but it is unique to Luke. It holds the secret, I believe, for how we can be like Jesus and experience newness ourselves. It's right here. Listen for it. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was open. When Jesus prays, the heavens open. I don't think that's an accident. And neither does Luke. Luke believes that prayer is the best way to start anything. In Luke, Jesus is found to be praying at important and key moments in his life. He prays here at his baptism. He prays when he chooses his closest friends and followers. He prays when he asks his disciples who they think he is. He prays when he's there up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. He prays on the Mount of Olives on the eve before his death. And lastly, when Luke writes about the early church and the Acts of the Apostles, what do you think they were doing when the Holy Spirit descended upon them? Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. When Jesus prayed, he wasn't praying the generic warmed over oatmeal kind of prayers we often pray. Mm -mm. Jesus knew that he could not start something new without being one with the Father and without first being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So he prayed for courage, I believe. Courage to start down the path to Jerusalem because that's what this moment represents. New beginnings always end in death of something and of someone. Because I don't believe that Jesus was kidding when he said for us to take up our cross and follow him. New beginnings in Christ 
end in death until they end ultimately in redemption and resurrection. So yes, I believe that Jesus prayed for courage and that he also prayed for power to speak, power to get people's attention, power to heal, power to liberate captives from, from fear of, and selfishness and hate. I believe that he prayed for direction on knowing what move to make. And if you keep reading, the first stop on this path is that the Spirit directs him into the wilderness, into a season of trial and tribulation where God's word reigns supreme. Prayer is our eureka moment. Prayer is how we discover and listen for God's voice. When we pray, God reveals. Eureka! We have found God at work in this world. Now, that's a eureka tree. Anybody else want some ice cream? God. We find ourselves in troubled waters. So we pray for the same courage that you gave to your son, Jesus. We pray for the same power to speak, the same power to heal, the same power to liberate, the same power and willingness to get into a good kind of trouble that stands up to corrupt authorities and principalities. We pray, God, for direction. We also know, God, that praying means listening. So help us to listen right now. Put a sweet taste in our mouths, for we know that when we taste and see that you are good, we know of your love for us, of your blessing for us, that just as we feel broken like you did and find ourselves in troubled water as you most certainly did, you will see us through to the end, redeeming even and especially the darkness because you love us, because you're holding us, and because you have a hope and a future for us. This is how we're choosing to begin this new year, God. Inaugurate this season with your good word and your good voice, for it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.